Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. And we will make America great again. Well, welcome, friends, to Praying for America. And you know, that is our theme. We have a country to save, first of all. And we have a country to make great again. And that is our inherent advantage, that America is a great country and that we are founded on principles that enable us to constantly renew ourselves to pursue that greatness even more. So I want to talk to you about some uh, interesting uh, statistics about Republican advantages across the states when you compare where a state goes in the presidential race with where it goes in its uh, state legislative races. Uh, I'm going to give you some Findings about that. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, one of the big advantages uh, that President Trump has in the polling. Uh, something interesting that is uh, coming out about uh, about him. And continue to introduce you to this book, The Democrat Party Hates America by Mark Levin. I hope you have your copy by now. Let's start with the word of God in the book of Jeremiah. He gives us instructions here about what we have to do to win our country back. Let's read, starting with verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am too young. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Let us pray. Father, you have indeed appointed us to be a prophet to our nation, the United States of America. You have chosen us and, and you have decided to equip and encourage us to literally give us the courage to speak out what has to be spoken to reveal your will to your people, to reinforce those principles that our founders placed their feet on solidly to build this nation. Lord God, enable us never to be afraid to speak up, whether it's to those in power or whether it's to the lowliest of, of people in this country, to our fellow citizens and to our family, to our fellow believers, to our fellow patriots, Lord, let us always reinforce what is good and right and true 
relying on your power to give impact to our words, relying on your grace to save this country. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. So are you familiar with the website 270 to win.com. That's a helpful website to check out among the different political and election-related tools that I give you every once in a while. I've mentioned Cook Political. I've mentioned Real Clear Politics. I tell you various books that are good to read. This is another tool in the arsenal, 270towin.com. Obviously, it's talking about the number of electoral votes that a presidential candidate needs in order to win the presidency. Well, you can actually do your own predictive map on that site. It has a map of the United States, which is very helpful to show you how the states are leaning right now in regard to the electoral votes for president, how the states are leaning. They're either solidly in the red or blue column, or they're likely in the red or blue column, or they lean in the right to blue, red to blue, one way or the other, or they're toss-ups. Not that many toss-ups in this, in this presidential race for 2024. Not that many. I told you about the big three, of course. Remember what they are? Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia. And then depending on how you want to model the data, there's one or two others thrown in there. But Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia for sure. And it only takes, I told you in a previous program, three to five vote. Three to five. I'm not talking about three to five thousand. Three to five votes per precinct in a handful of counties to win this election. So don't think of this as some kind of mammoth task. Either way, it's going to be another closely divided situation, at least as far as we can tell right now. But when you look at a particular state, you can look not only at how it goes, how it has gone, how it's tending to go for the presidency. How does that compare to how it goes in the state legislature? Because, you know, on so many issues, including how elections are governed, including now on abortion policy since the fall of Roe v. Wade, including on so many other things, Matters are decided by the state legislators, and we've got to be paying close attention to those races. There's an article on 270towin.com about what's called excess legislative seats. Now, I'm not sure if I like that terminology, and no seat is excess. But what they are talking about is seats that go for one party or another above and beyond the percentage by which that state went for the Republican or Democrat presidential candidate. That's what it means by excess legislative seats. Let me just summarize what the the article says. The Democrats have, when you look at all the 50 states, seven Senate chambers and six House chambers where the number of Democrat seats has exceeded the percentage by which that state went for the Democrat in the presidential race. Now, uh, exceeded by at least, I should say, by at least double-digit percentages. Okay, this is a high exceeding. But the Republicans have far more. 
21 Senate chambers and 18 House chambers. Three times the amount. Exactly three times the amount. In other words, a state that went for the uh, pr uh, Republican presidential candidate, but then the number of House and, and Senate seats went even farther in the Republican direction. Now, what, what difference does this, does this make? Because again, policy is being set in these states, in these state legislatures. So in uh, the uh, states where you have uh, unusually large uh, Democrat uh, majorities, uh, these legislatures will uh, feel empowered, of course, to go beyond where most of their citizens might be on certain policies. Progressive policies, we see the other side is always out of control, always overstepping their bounds. Uh, but in the Republican states, likewise, you have strong legislative majorities. And again, we have much more control on the Republican side of state legislatures around the country, not just in terms of this measurement, how far did it exceed the presidential margin, but just, just overall, in general, more Republican-controlled legislative bodies in America than Democrat-controlled, and more trifectas, too, where you've got the governor, House, and Senate all together. That's when you can really crank out some, uh, some good, solid uh, conservative uh, legislation. Often the states that have these Republican excess uh, 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 vote uh, seat margins can do a whole lot more than they're doing. And that's where you and I need to be constantly in communication with our state representatives and say, look, do it. Act like winners. Act like you have the majority. Put into place the policies that we're looking to put on, whatever the issue is that you're talking about. Encourage them to do more. Check out that article at 270towin.com because this can, this can help you uh, in your communication with your state legislatures. Uh, just a little bit of more detail here. Um, currently, the GOP controls both chambers of the state legislature, both chambers, in the following states that were carried by Biden in the presidential race. Arizona and New Hampshire, by narrow margins, and Georgia and Wisconsin, by wider margins. Interesting fact. Meanwhile, they control one of the two chambers in two other Biden one states, and that is Pennsylvania, they have the Senate, and Virginia, they have the House. And hopefully now in 2023, in Virginia, they'll retake the Senate because there's a legislative off-year election there. And finally, by the Democrats, do not control a single legislative chamber in any state that was won by President Trump. Also an interesting point. The Democrats don't control a single legislative chamber in a state that went for Trump. Okay, let me go on to, uh, in terms of, um, well, let me do a smaller story here. Shorts on the Senate floor. You've all seen the pictures of this lunatic from, from Pennsylvania who should never have been elected, John Fetterman in the Senate. My goodness. I mean, Fetterman, you know, there's a lot of flights. There really are. There's a lot of airplane airlines. There's a lot of flights. Would you please, please, please take advantage of one of those empty seats and go somewhere? This guy is such a, a, uh, he's such a disgrace to America. He really is. 
And one of the, the, the just silly ways that he shows it is the way he dresses. Unapologetically wearing shorts and sweatshirts when he goes to work in the U.S. Senate. Voting, look at the absurdity of this. Voting, casting his votes in the Senate floor from the doorways so that he wouldn't have to walk out onto the Senate floor and get in trouble for his utter lack of dress code. Well, well, recently, Schumer said, "Eh, senators can wear whatever they want. We commented on this the other day. I said, yeah, it goes along with their uh, total lack of common sense. Yeah, senators can wear whatever they want. Well, there was backlash to that. There was bipartisan backlash to that. And so the other night, a couple of nights ago, the Senate voted to reverse course when it comes to the dress code and to say that, quote, business attire should be worn on the floor of the Senate, which for men shall include a coat, tie, and slacks or other long pants. Well, commenting on this, Senator Chuck Grassley said, God bless common sense. You know, but this is, doesn't it show you, isn't it like a perfect sign of how absolutely out of touch these, these Democrats are? That they have people that, that, how did you do it, Pennsylvania? How did you do it? How did so many of, 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 of the voters in Pennsylvania I mean, how did you do it? How do you elect a guy like this? Of course, we could we could we could ask America too. How do you elect a guy like like Biden? Um, history's going to look back, friends. And they're going to scratch their heads at what happened during this time in America. Another interesting uh, polling result here. A survey recently conducted by uh, Harris X for the Deseret News asked about the voters' views of the faith commitment of candidates. The faith commitment. And among Republicans, who do you think voters most identified as a person of faith? Who do you think? President Trump. There's a narrative out there just to the contrary. But I've listened carefully to just about every speech he's given. I've had the privilege of consulting with a lot of people who are very close collaborators of his. Brothers and sisters, this is a man of faith. The polling here reflects reality. He emerged as the leader with 53% of respondents considering him a man of faith. Now, this goes along with something I commented on in an earlier program that had been brought out by Dick Morris. You remember what I was saying about the fact that while for a long time it's been true that many, many voters identify with and strongly support and are encouraged by his policies and his accomplishments. 
But at the same time, when it comes to his character, well, they're not so not so sure. And you know, it's not easy to get people to just believe something about a person's character. What's necessary to change their views about a person's character? When they see the evidence of how that character comes out in various situations. And that's what now has been shifting. What's been shifting is that as a result of all this unprecedented weaponization of government against President Trump, with these four fake indictments, these 91 fake charges, because they're not based on any law to begin with, okay? And if there should be a conviction, remember the talking points that I gave you about what to say to your fellow voters if President Trump ends up getting convicted on one or more of these 91 charges. Baseless. They're baseless. They're politically motivated, absolutely baseless charges in the first place and convictions if that should come about. It's all political. There's no law that's been broken. There's no person who's been harmed. Challenge them to, to tell you what's the law that was, that was broken. Who's the person that was harmed, and do they think for one moment this is not politically motivated? But the, the point I'm making here is that the way he has conducted himself in response to these charges, he hasn't gone hiding in a corner, he hasn't been deterred or discouraged. What has come forth in view of everybody is his character. Somebody who has courage. Somebody who is unflappable. Somebody who is resolute. Somebody who is focused on the task that he has declared he wants to accomplish, which is to help America get out of the mess that it's in, defeat those who are trying to destroy America, and continue to build on the tremendous accomplishments that he doesn't only talk about, but that he has accomplished. The sense of resolution. This is, some, this is a matter of character. And then I see this other separate survey in terms of faith as just reinforcing that and building on that even more. Again, people's uh, uh, support of his policy positions and accomplishments, that hasn't that hasn't changed. So there's strong support there. And now adding to that is strong support on the, on the question of character. You know, this, this, this ridiculous judge in New York, again, talking about the Trump's uh, business, uh, the business end of things. You know, for goodness sake, who exactly was harmed? Who, who, who exactly was harmed by, by anything that, 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 that he did? Nobody. This is, I mean, you talk about a political, it's an absolute circus, and it's an absolute disgrace. And the people who are, are doing these things, they will go down in history to a level of shame that Dante wouldn't even be able to write about in his, uh, in his uh, Inferno. He wouldn't be able, Dante wouldn't have the talent to write about how deep a place these people deserve in the in the shame that history can regard a human being. That that those that are that are doing all this politically motivated stuff against President Trump, these Democrat uh, judges, these Soros-backed prosecutors, Soros himself, Soros should meet Dante. Really, you guys have to have a conversation. And uh, Dante's uh, skills will be put to the test in a major way. Soros, you could have a you could have a if you repent today and stop all this this garbage, you could have quite a, a good place in in history. 
and you could be credited with increasing the literary skill of um, the most some of the most famous writers. Uh, that's what's going on here, brothers and sisters. Look, I hope you have this book. The Democrat Party hates America. It's absolutely true. It's literally true. And that's the first thing. You know, let me go to the. I'm going to share a lot about this book as we go along. We'll get some guests on to Mark Levin's book. I'll get some guests on to uh, talk about it as well. But let me go right to the end of it here, the epilogue. And, and, and essentially what, what Mark is saying is summed up here. The Democrat Party, the, the Democrat Party single-handedly builds permanent centers of power. See, that's what the, one of the key things he's trying to convey in this book. You have to understand this is a power-hungry, power-grabbing entity in America. They're not interested. And that, see, being power-hungry is just the opposite. Let's put this in a Christian biblical perspective. Being power-hungry is just the opposite of being a servant. Our Lord says, our Lord who has all the power in the universe, right? He's the Almighty, said what? I have come not to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. That's Christ. It's Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, in other words, all power is already his. Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, Paul continues, he emptied himself taking the form of a slave. He humbled himself, being born in the likeness of men. Okay, he went to the cross. Now, a power-hungry, power-grabbing entity like the Democrat Party, by definition, that is absolutely and completely the opposite of the Christian gospel. By definition. I mean, even without showing how many ways they hate religion, hate faith, and hate God. President Trump pointed this out a long time ago. They are inherently anti-Christian because of this power-grabbing mindset. But he goes on to say, the Democrat Party single-handedly builds permanent centers of power, including in the vast federal bureaucracy, subsidized non-governmental organizations, lifetime activist judges. Just think about the ways that these things solidify permanent power. Tenured professors and teachers, right? You see and hear some of these people doing and saying the craziest things. They say, well, why don't we get rid of them? Oh, we can't, we can't. They've got tenure. Tenured professors and teachers, party members in the media, etc. Okay, and the whole book, of course, unpacks all of this. Here's the mission that we have and, and in which he says the Republican Party often fails, but we must not fail anymore, to defend the American people from a Democrat Party that literally hates the country and is destroying it from within. Want to know our mission statement here politically? There it is. And, and many, of those, many, of, many a time the Republican Party fails to do this because you have people like Chris Christie, because you have people like... Uh, Chris Sununu, because you have people like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. Again, hey, to all of you, there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of seats. There's a lot of open seats on airplanes. There really are. I mean, you really got to look. Check it out today. Go on. You know, it's easy. You go online. You know, you check out the airline. They they tell you what seats are available. Then try it. 
We, we, we don't need you people around. But, but what happens here is that they're, they're defeatists. What President Trump brings to the picture here, and one of the ways that he is, is reshaping the whole party, is, this, is bringing that, 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 that fighting spirit against the things that are destroying America here. The Democrat Party, it is obvious to me, Mark Levin writes, is a treacherous political organization dating back to its founding. Yeah, so what do we do about all this? I mean, besides voting them out of power, we got to vote them out of power. But Mark says the purpose of this book here, the first step, in other words, in responding to all of this, is to identify the problem, identify the autocratic danger that the Democrat Party represents. Don't just think of them as a group of people who disagree with you. It's an autocratic, power-grabbing entity that is dangerous. Let me read this, 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 uh, these last final sentences here. Every legal, legitimate, and appropriate tool and method must be employed in the short and long run to shatter the Democrat Party and its anti-American fundamental transformation agenda. The Democrat Party must be resoundingly conquered in the next election or it will be extremely difficult to undo the damage that they've done. All right, that's from the epilogue. The book itself unpacks all of this in great detail, and we are going to unpack it for you as well. But I want to urge you, get the book, read through it along with us here on this program, and you, who already understand so many of these things, will be even better equipped to back them up and to persuade your fellow citizens that we've got to vote these people out of power. Okay, well, that's good enough for tonight. Let's go back into prayer and be assured of our prayers for you each day. Father, we uh, we look at all that is going on and we great leaders like President Trump and we, we appreciate, Lord, the fact that his character, his courage, his uh, resoluteness, so many people admire is coming to the forefront even for those that did not know how strong of a character he has and as a man of faith too we thank you lord that people are recognizing this we ask that this be translated into electoral victories as we set about the great and important task of doing what mark levin outlines in this book totally conquering politically by every legitimate means this dangerous power grabbing political party called the Democrat Party. Lord, we ask you that uh, your citizens, and your believers, the members of your body, the living stones in the temple of your church, the branches on the true vine, which is Christ, might never be afraid of politics. Lord, this is no time for us to be engaged in this fictitious and dangerous separation of church from politics, of faith from civic engagement. Rather, Lord God, help your people to realize that the state arose out of the church, that it was believers coming together that built this government in the first place, and that you, your son, by bringing us into your divine family, by adopting us as sons and daughters of God, have revolutionized politics, 
making it undeniable that our voice does count, that our vote does matter, that we are not simply cogs in a wheel, absorbed in some kind of communal power entity, or not impersonal state, or voiceless subjects of some dominating monarch, dictator. No, we are your sons and daughters, Lord God. And the fact that in Christ we have that that status of sharing the divine nature, therefore the people matter. And that those who govern ought not to be seeking power, but should be seeking to serve, to give themselves, to secure our rights, not to embolden themselves to trample down our rights. Bless America, Lord, because this is how we win. Citizens recognizing these truths and putting them into action. May we teach these truths to our children, to our grandchildren, to all future generations. We pray now in the words that Jesus taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Love being with you, friends. Thank you so much. Let other people know about Praying for America, and we will talk to you soon. Priests for Life, saving lives for over 30 years. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.